Britain is leaving the European Union. We are going to make our own decisions and our own laws. It's being called the Great Repeal Bill and it's being presented to Parliament this week, a typically bombastic title for the law that should set the wheels in motion on Brexit. Our laws will then be made in London, Edinburgh, Cardiff and Belfast to end the supremacy of European Union law in the UK as we exit. Leave campaigners during the EU referendum talked endlessly about taking back control of our laws and the Great Repeal Bill is supposed to be the legislation to do just that. But before we start making our own laws again, if we ever stopped, all EU law has to be copied into UK law. Only then can we pick and choose the bits we want to keep. It's already sounding complicated, and that's before the pitch battles begin over which of those laws stay and which of them go. This week on the Weekly Economics podcast, we're diving into the Great Repeal Bill, what it means, how it's going to work, and the impact it might have on our economy and environment. My name is Hugh Jordan, filling in for Aisha this week. Stay with us. Some people in the UK argue that one can leave the single market and build a custom unions to achieve frictionless trade. That is not possible. Having outlined her plans in Brussels last week, today Theresa May announced a more detailed settlement for Europeans living here in the EU. Are you absolutely <coughs> sure we will get a deal? I'm pretty sure. I'm not 100% sure. You can never be. It's, it's a negotiation. Because you said again, you said. So after an excellent podcast performance on the show last week, we're welcoming back Dave Powell, who leads on the New Economics Foundation's environmental work. Hello, Dave. Hello, Hugh. And we're joined by special guest Carla Hill, Programme Director at the non-profit environmental organisation Client Earth, who has kindly agreed to join us to help break down the jargon today. Hello, Carla. Hello, Hugh. So we're going to move on to the Great Repeal Bill in a second, but first our headline segment. And as we're going into the details of leaving the EU later, we want an update on what's going on with Brexit right now. So, Dave, what's your Brexit headline from the last few weeks? Ooh, crikey, where to start? I am going to start, I'm going to talk about the fish. So there's been a load of stuff about fish uh, in general around Brexit, you will remember uh, your friend of mine, Nigel Farage, uh, sailing a flotilla of small boats down the Thames and then being lambasted by Bob Geldof. And it was all very strange. It was about a year ago. Um, the idea being that uh, the EU was bad for boats, even though it's actually the UK that decides who gets to fish. What? Anyway, uh, it was an announcement last week that the UK is pulling out of a thing called the London Convention, which, uh, as a clue in the name, is not to do with the EU at all. It's to do with a deal that we signed in London. But it basically is going to kick out foreign boats from our waters and in exchange for which we don't get to go to other waters. What's interesting about it is, uh, take that face off, it is interesting. What's interesting about it is that it was presented as this great salvo. It sort of coincided with the start of Brexit negotiations and the Express and all of the right-wing press were running with it saying, up yours, Johnny Foreigner, we're going to take back control of our waters. And it's just interesting to me how important fishing is for a relatively small segment of GDP. I mean, it's about 1% of GDP, but how totemic it is. It's literally on the front line of our relationship with Europe and about how that was a thing that got made a big splash about at this early stage. Isn't one of the issues with 
with uh, banning people from our waters that the fish, can't they just swim into the other waters? Is that, is that one of the issues here? No, as part of the Great Repeal Bill, fish are going to get uh, passports and pockets and that sort of thing. No, I mean, fish couldn't care less about what lines we put on maps. It's the great irony of the whole thing. We have to agree, no matter what happens with other European countries, that the fish that move around, that we all fish a sustainable amount of it. So all the rhetoric about taking back control of our waters is not much use if you are a fish. All right, thank you, Dave, for your fishy news. Uh, Carla, what's the most important thing going on with Brexit right now from your perspective? Uh, Well, my headline of the week was the new Justice Secretary, David Liddington, says Brexit will give Britain's top judges the freedom to prove they are the best in the world. Uh, Again, some uh, allusion to the sunny uplands of of Brexit uh, and just remembering uh, the great uh, legal system that we have in England But also, I guess I would say that as Client Earth was back in the High Court this week uh, on air quality uh, against Michael Gove and the government, a little loss for us this week, but the minister now has three weeks to produce a good air quality plan that will finally uh, fix our air quality problems. I don't think that the judge that we were appearing before uh, was too concerned about his ability to do his best in the English legal system while being a member of the European Union uh, and indeed applying EU law that has been implemented through UK regulations. But that's all to come a little bit more in terms of what happens next with those laws under the repeal bill. And is is there some sort of international judges league table that people are going to be able to compete on after Brexit? Uh, Well, you know, I think that Judges and the, and the English legal system are already re- recognised around the world. I, I don't think uh, this is one of those things where I don't know that you need to leave the EU in order to uh, be recognised for your judicial excellence. Okay, thank you very much, Carla. Thanks, Dave and Carla. Um, now let's move on to our big question of the week. <laughs> Will the Great Repeal Bill really mean we take back control? The British people will go to polling stations across our islands and cast their ballots in the way we've done in this country for generations. Go back down the river because you're up one without a canoe or a paddle. It is a choice between believing in the possibility of hope and change or accepting that we have no choice but to knuckle under. We believe the European Union has brought investment, jobs and protection for workers, consumers and the environment. And the truth is that if we vote to leave, we'll be in an economically stronger position. You cannot succeed in securing financial stability. Let us remain, let us fight our corner. I urge you to vote leave on June the 23rd. Just over a year ago, the UK made one of the biggest decisions for generations, a decision that will feel the impact of for years to come. We know that we're leaving the EU, but what Brexit actually means has turned into one of the biggest debates in British politics. We're putting trade to one side for this episode and talking about laws here at home. The Leave campaigners say leaving the EU means we'll get to take back control of our laws. If that's true, we'll have some pretty serious choices to make between now and the Brexit deadline. Which bits of EU law should be in or out? It's time to talk about the Great Repeal Bill on that basis. So, Dave, first of all, what is the Great Repeal Bill? I know nothing about it. Layman's terms, please. Well, uh, so I guess by the time people 
listen to this, it may be a thing. It may be out. And it, what, it, what it almost certainly won't be called is the Great Repeal Bill for a start. So that's a thing. The word great has been quietly dropped <laughs> during the whole process over the last year, which is quite revealing in itself, uh, not only about its stature as a bill, but also in terms of just the general rhetoric around a lot of Brexit-related stuff. But what it is, is it's a bit of law, which originally was conceived of potentially as just being a couple of lines long, right? But it basically just takes everything that currently applies to the UK from EU law and transplants it wholesale into UK law from the second that we leave uh, in March 2019. So that's pretty much entirely what it does. It just says all of that stuff, we're going to ship that into UK law and thereafter we will then work out basically what bits we want to keep and what bits we, we don't want to keep. And that's essentially all it really does. It, it has some technical things about just take the, the mechanics of taking us out of the European community and, and, and those things. But basically, that's what it is. That's its, that's its job. And it, yeah, well, I mean, Carla will know more about this than me, but originally the government had said something like, oh, a couple of paragraphs, that'll do it. It's turned out to be a bit more complicated than that, right? Uh, let's wait and see this week. We may finally get to see a bill. Uh, It will have its first reading in Parliament. The purpose of it is, first off, to do what it says on the tin, which is to repeal the European Communities Act 1972, which is what the piece of legislation, the piece of law that took the UK into the European Union. Uh, And it's the piece of law that brings on on a kind of a daily, regular basis new EU laws that are adopted in Brussels, it's what allows them to be then implemented uh, without too much trouble into the UK system. More than that, the purpose of the legislation is to provide legal certainty. We hear a lot about cliffs uh, and cliff edges, so the repeal bill is to stop us going over a cliff edge in terms of our legal system uh, and speaking about the pride of the English legal system, it would be somewhat embarrassing to go over a cliff and have no legal certainty. So for 40 years, the UK has been implementing uh, bits of law from the EU and without continued membership, those would suddenly be compromised. Uh, and then finally, and the, the piece I think we could get into a little bit more is It really is a very political choice that has to be made here. This piece of legislation is what is going to set up the rules of the game, not only for what happens during the Brexit process, but also for after the Brexit process. And this is a big, big decision that needs to be made about taking back control. The question is, who is going to take back control? Uh, Is that going to be Parliament or is it going to be ministers? Okay, so we'll come to, to that to the kind of political questions in a second. Just on just on this kind of on the, the mechanics of the bill, are the are the kind of Brexiteers are the are the leavers happy with this? We're going to bring all EU laws into EU into UK law first in order to then get rid of them. Isn't that a bit contradictory? Isn't it quite a complicated process? You know, could we end up in a situation where we're more EU than the EU itself? I don't think. That's very likely. Um, it's kind of unavoidable if you look at the sheer sheer scale of what has to be done. So my understanding is there's something like, looks at Carla for justification, about a thousand bits of European directive that in some way apply to the UK, right? So we only have two years. In fact, we're already sort of three months into, four months into our Article 50 leaving the EU process. As we all done by March 2019, by March 2019, we have to get to some sort of place 
that makes sense. So the option is either, I mean, it's probably the, on a headline level, the only sensible thing you can do is just go, right, we're not going to try and scrap everything or debate everything in the next 18 months. We're just going to bring it all in and then work out what we do with it after that. And that also makes sense if you're a business. I mean, if you're a business that is trading with Europe or has regulations or does anything, you don't want, Carla was talking about a cliff edge. It could be a massive crisis for the UK economy if you were just overnight debating everything from scratch. So it basically says, look, from day one, don't freak out. It's okay. Nothing's going to change. And then we'll change it. And is that because it would be kind of total anarchy if we got rid of all the laws at once and had to debate them all? We would be talking about, you know, riots on the streets and stuff like that. Is that is that how it worked, Carla? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, we we do rely on the rule of law to to have uh, to have certain society uh, that we know and and that we operate in. So absolutely, I think it would be problematic to not have any of laws. I think, as Dave has said, there's a timing issue here. Uh, we need to keep what we've got. Uh, I think if you read the government's white paper on the repeal bill from a few months ago, uh, I, I don't think the irony escapes them that we are bringing over all of the EU laws as part of the Brexit process. Nonetheless, it, it, is, it is what they need to do in order to maintain a level of, of certainty. It has to work in a very technical process because they just simply don't have time to do everything. So the repeal bill will create some legal fictions and give the civil servants a big task to do, which is to create all the statutory instruments, all the bits of detailed law that will contain these laws. And then eventually, once the Act is passed, then those have to come back before Parliament, and Parliament is going to have to rubber stamp those. So this is a huge undertaking, as everything in Brexit, it gets more and more complicated the more you go into the detail and see how you actually have to operationalise it. So let's move on to the politics of, of what happens next now. How are we going to choose which laws we get rid of and which ones we keep? Carla, what do you think about that? So I would say that it's as much about choosing who decides which laws we keep and uh, which we get rid of as deciding which ones we want to keep. Uh, law is dynamic, it should change over time, but what counts is who decides. And the repeal bill is going to set the rules of the game about that and decide, as I said before, about whether that's parliament that decides or whether it's ministers. And this very technical process of creating statutory instruments, I know that's a very sort of technical t sounding term, those are the bits of law that are not primary legislation, acts of parliament, but that are the more detailed regulations that are adopted through a different process that has a lot less parliamentary scrutiny. So yes, that's okay that we have a technical process in order to save our current laws and not in get into a legal mess when we leave the EU. But what is critical is that on day one, we have legal certainty. That's the government's position, understood. What happens on day two, we need to ensure that the laws that are converted through the repeal bill process need to go through a proper parliamentary process before they can get amended. So it, it's about the rules of the game now and then about setting up those future conversations in a democracy to have a conversation about which ones do we keep, which ones do we get rid of. And it's it, it, like so much to do with Brexit. It's, it's so sort of frustrating because you, you'll often hear this described as this great opportunity. Things are often described as opportunities. You know, we're doing fishing law or farming law from scratch. It's an opportunity. Well, kind of, but it's also an incredibly truncated timeline with a huge amount of panic trying to do something. No government won't have dealt with anything like this other than a war. You know, it, it's just a phenomenally complicated thing 
to do, and really with the Great Repeal Bill, the main thing, as Carla is saying, the main thing is just to make sure it doesn't give so much power to ministers that ministers can then go and do whatever they want. You know, we have to limit, it's so essential that we limit the ability of ministers once they've got the entire corpus of EU law into the UK law to just go, right, get rid of that, don't like that, don't like that. It's important that we have what's called sunset clauses. This is something that's very important. So that's the idea that ministers can't for the next 10 or 20 years say, no, we're just implementing the uh, Great Repeal Bill. No, it's all right, we'll, we'll just get on with this for the next 10 or 20 years. Um, and we have to have parliamentary scrutiny of it. I mean, Parliament, there's going to be a thousand statutory instruments, so a thousand little bits of, uh, of, of Parliament that are looking at this. That's more in one year than Parliament will usually have to look at in an entire five-year term. It's just massively, massively complicated. You need special committees to do this, with special experts on it, whether or not Michael Gove thinks experts is a good idea. And so let's get into the details of, of what you're particularly concerned about. Like, what laws do you think are going to be impacted by this? You both work on the environment. Do you think, for example, environmental law is going to be impacted in, an ad, you know, in, a, in a negative way by this uh, process? It could be. I would say let's not roll back 40 years of environmental progress. Whether the repeal bill enables that or doesn't is what we're going to have to see when we see the bill and when it goes through Parliament. Brussels has been, over time, the, the biggest source of most of the UK's environmental laws. As I said, they, they are implemented through the European Communities Act, many of them. And so they, they don't really exist in a kind of a, a normal way as they would if you had set out to pass you know, as the US does, you have the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, the Endangered Species Act. The UK has more of a sort of a patchwork of different environmental laws that could end up getting very messy. And in that process, you could end up losing some of the key environmental protections, environmental standards uh, that we really rely on. Air quality, for example, uh, you have the Ambient Air Quality Directive, which is the EU kind of parent directive. And then that is implemented in the UK through the Air Quality Regulations 2010, which are made under the European Communities Act. So what is going to happen to those? So the repeal bill has to do that job of making sure that they don't become void, which they legally would be if you didn't have the repeal bill. So yes, compared to other areas, I would say that the environment is particularly impacted, but it's not only the environment. Certainly for workers' rights, for privacy protections, for instance, there are a number of EU laws. Again, they're going to have to be brought over and we have to look at democratically what will the status of those laws be at the end of this process. Yeah, and there's a... There's a a couple of other things. So it's, it, again, Carly, you know, make funny faces at me if I say something wrong here, but it's not just about the laws, right? It's about enforcing those laws. So at the moment, uh, Client Earth have been you know, repeatedly taking the government to court over air pollution, and, and you know, but basically it's recourse to a bit of European law, ultimately. Um, and the government is being, there's a, a mechanism to challenge because there is a, a law with a whole sort of governance and enforcement system behind it. So even if we take, even if it, we were able to take precisely all of EU environment law, if that's even possible to do, which I'm just not sure that it is, we still have to enforce it. We still have to regulate it at a time of austerity, at a time when, frankly, there aren't enough civil servants to even think about this stuff, at a time when it's not clear whether England or Wales or Scotland or who's going to look at which part of it. Um, so you, you can have, you know, take chemicals legislation, this thing called REACH, which is 830 pages of legislation, massive, massive, massive thing. It's all enforced and looked after by a special agency in Helsinki that does that. So even if we were to take precisely the same bit of legislation over, we then got to do our own enforcement of that, which costs money. 
which needs expertise. And you have to ask yourself in a climate of deregulation. And, you know, we've been talking a lot over in the media in the last few weeks about, you know, what happens when you cut regulations, when you think that profits are more important than people and all of that sort of stuff. You have to ask, is it likely that even if you had the best laws in the world, you're going to have the best enforcement in the world? That's another thing that the Great Repeal Bill will really shape, I think. And, and and while this is all, all this is going on, uh, the government are also talking about the trade deals they now need to make with the rest of the world. Um, and uh, one of the questions here is, are they going to have to compromise on these laws once again, once they start making those deals? So do you think, Dave, that it's possible to, ha- to make these big trade deals that the government are talking about and have control of our laws in the way that we've talked about during Brexit? Oh, it's so common. People talk about trade in very funny ways, you know. You. So uh, trade is regulation. That is what trade is. So historically, like over over history, trade deals were mostly about tariffs, mostly about how much you have to pay to sell your goods in different areas and that sort of thing. And it's still important. It's still a part of it. But more and more, any trade deal in the 21st century is about rules and regulations. And what do you have to comply with to sell your sofa in Brussels? What do you have to comply with to sell your sofa in the UK? The EU is this colossal economic block that's just over there, over the water. Almost certainly, British business is going to want to continue to trade with it. Almost certainly, therefore, pretty much all of the standards that affect things like product safety or chemical safety or meat safety or any of these things, we're going to have to adhere to. If we don't, then we're not going to be able to easily do deals with the EU or to trade things with the EU, which just doesn't make any sense at all. So, I mean, I'm not sure, we don't know yet exactly. There's going to be a special trade bill to look at trade and what's in it, and we don't quite know what it's going to be. But the idea that somehow taking back control will enable us to scrap loads of rules and still trade with other places that have those rules that we've just scrapped, doesn't make a huge amount of sense. Okay. Uh, just And just finally, uh, the Great Repeal Bill is pre- being presented to Parliament this week, so it's at the first stage of, of the process. Do we think, uh, Carla, is it actually going to get through Parliament when it's finally voted on or or will it be voted on in in Mm. the way that other laws are? I think it will. I I think the position of of the major parties at the moment is is that they will support Brexit and and, and that they recognise that the repeal bill is necessary in order to implement Brexit. You know, things are unpredictable, so who knows where (laughs) where it may end up. On the other hand, the question is, what are the terms of of the Parliament's agreement going to be? Uh, and I think one of the the interesting kind of wrinkles here is that the government intends to ask Parliament to enable it not only to bring over EU laws uh, and to repeal the European Communities Act, but also to implement the withdrawal agreement that it is currently in the process of negotiating with the EU. So I have a big question about will Parliament agree to give give the government those powers before it knows what the terms of the deal are, given that Parliament has said it wants a say over the deal and that the government has said that it will have a say over the deal. So there there are some sequencing issues. We'll have to see how those play out over the coming months. The other thing you've got to bear in mind, I guess, with all this is just how wafer thin the government's majority now is, right? As a result of the election, it didn't need to call. Uh, It now has a very wafer thin majority. This means that it's very vulnerable to people derailing the whole thing, which is probably not very likely, but certainly getting a lot of concessions within it. This could be a bill, just like so many things with Brexit, it could be a bill that set the standard for a really accountable, really democratic, really transparent way to make laws and rules and regulations in this country 
for the next 100 years. It could do that. And people will be trying to make it like that. People will be trying to amend this law. So one thing I think is clear, even if the bill itself ends up going through, it could end up looking really different. And I think all of us, you know, there are huge opportunities to actually get it working better if we play our cards right. So it looks like we're going to have to wait and see. Thank you, Dave and Carla, for explaining the uh, Great Repeal Bill. I now understand what it is. So that's a good thing. Parliament will then determine what laws are made in future. Because as was established, yes, it will. A prayer against. Jacob, I'm sorry, I'm going to correct you because in 2014 15, there were 19 prayers against, and not a single one led to a vote. But the 19 prayers did not have a majority of Parliament praying against it. So you've got to have a majority. No, no, no. So to finish up, It sounds like we are going to end up getting rid of some EU laws through the Great Repeal Bill, at very least. So I'm going to ask each of you, if you could only keep one law from the EU, um, only one, what would it be? Should I come to you first, Carla? Uh, This is a a tough question, It's a stupid question. (laughs) It's what it is. (laughs) We love stupid questions on the Weekly Economics (laughs) Podcast. It's what we're all about. Uh, There is is not only one law, but... I would say I would love to to breathe clean air. I do live in London and uh, I would love for myself and my daughter to be able to breathe clean air. So I would love to save the Ambient Air Quality Directive and not only that, but for the UK to comply with it. Okay, it's got a lovely name, the Ambient Air Quality Directive. I want ambient air. Uh, Dave, what's your one law? You can only have one I'm law. Do Don't not, fudge the question, Dave. I'm, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I refuse to play your silly game and neither am I going to choose which of my fingers I would keep if asked to choose that either. <laughs> um, what I would say is there's a thing called the Lisbon Treaty, which was uh, brought in a few years ago, which basically enshrines a lot of these core principles. What you have to understand, Hugh, and you ask this question so you can listen to this, right? What you have to understand is that EU law is made through a set of principles which aren't like good principles about the fact that the polluter should pay. That if you're not sure if something causes harm, you stop doing it until you prove that it doesn't, a thing called the precautionary principle. And they're all enshrined in a thing called the Lisbon Treaty, which kind of underpins, you know, a lot of this stuff. So I would keep that. If you're going to make me keep a thing, I'm going to keep that. But it's silly. I kind of refuse. I refuse to do it. I want to keep the law that stops podcast hosts asking silly questions. There. That is EU law and that will not be repealed. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Dave and Carla, for your legal wish list. Just if people are at home are concerned about this, are worried about the Great Repeal Bill, is there anywhere they can find out more information? Is there anything they can get involved in that either of you can tell listeners about if they want to kind of, if they're worried about laws that might uh, get the axe? Two things. If they're particularly concerned about the environment, the Greener UK Coalition of Major Environmental NGOs, of which Client Earth is a part, has a website, greeneruk.org, and we'll be actively following the repeal bill and, and holding the government's feet to the fire on that. But also talk to your MP. Tell them that you want them to stand up for Parliament and that you want them to stand up for the rights and protections and environmental standards that will be dealt with through the repeal bill. Yeah, and just talk in general. I mean, this is this is this seismically important bit of law, which will determine. You know, this was whether however you voted in the referendum, it was framed as taking back control, right? This law will determine the extent to which sovereignty was just an empty phrase that meant anything or not. It's hugely important. Talk to people, you know, just make your voice heard. Get get involved. Talk to your MP, but also talk to your friends and family and. 
start a conversation, I reckon. Oh. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think the worst thing we could do, actually, we, we've said a lot, you know, Brexit is very complicated. The worst thing we could do, though, would be to think that actually the repeal bill is this very technical, geeky thing. It's actually very political and it matters to all of us. And thank you both for explaining it today and, and, and uh, you know making it so uh, jargon free in this episode um, thanks everyone for listening if you've enjoyed this episode please do think about leaving us a rating or review in the Apple Podcasts app it only takes a minute and it really helps bump us up the charts which helps other people discover the show massive thanks to our latest podcast review heroes Anna Lizzie Ian Biffer Ben Gates Max Stallsworth and somebody who calls themselves Squeaky oh that was me sorry <laughs> for doing just that thanks Dave uh, make sure you're subscribed to the Weekly Economics Podcast in the app of your choice to get new episodes each week the Weekly Economics Podcast is produced by James Shield and myself and brought to you by the New Economics Foundation we'll see you again next week we'll see you again next week